most of the time is, hey, why are you guys not doing, you know, this product or why are you guys not doing this for whatever reason? So there's typically those check boxes that we have to do. And I'll jump in with the customers to show what our security program is, what we do and how we protect the organization. And it's very typically, it's very easy when I talk to the CISA, right? When I talk to other team members, compliance teams, the risk team, it may be a different conversation. But when I talk, jump on, talk to the CISA, it's like 10 minutes, we're done. We understand where we are and what we're doing. It's like, oh, perfect. Life is good. And Typically, that helps the business, that helps sales, that helps everybody move on to the next level. Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast. That's my friend Mustafa Kebe, CISO at Brinks and a well-respected security leader in the Dallas-Fort Worth community. He and I decided to record a conversation about our daily lives as CISOs. What are the things we actually do that our teams actually do versus what a lot of folks might think we do? We talk about the boring parts and the fun parts, and if you have ever wanted to know about the daily lives of CISOs, this is a great conversation. Even if you are a practicing CISO, I think you'll enjoy hearing two more perspectives, and you might just learn something as well. Mustafa, thanks so much for coming on down to the ranch. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. Welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford. All right, so to get started, why don't you briefly tell us a little bit about your background in cybersecurity and a bit about your day job? Well, I started in the cyberspace and in network security, Alan, and I think most of us started that path. Jumping from there to becoming more of a uh, security analysts, uh, as well as supporting a lot of the day-to-day activities of security operations. And from there, you know, jumping into uh, uh, typical stuff like uh, uh, incident response. Uh, and then I was really fascinated about what CISOs do and how, I mean, really they do the data activities. So moving into that path in, in a lot of activities that I've done and consulting, so to get to the, where I am today. And today I'm the global CISO for Brinks, uh, and uh, part of my data activities is to really help the organization secure the enterprise as well as provide strategic vision and support the business growth. I love it. And I love that you added support the business growth. So many CISOs dive into their security mission and, and forget about their commitments to the greater business when they describe what they do for a living. Which which <laughs> brings me to our earlier conversation, right? You and I talked about this fact that my show has got all these little you know, we, we cover vulnerability management, we cover all these nuances of the CISO life, and you pointed out that we had never done a show just on the daily life of a CISO. What does the CISO actually do and go through? And I thought, that's a great idea. So I thought we could dive into it, and I thought you could be my first victim here for this one. So I'm going to ask you some questions just about your day-to-day CISO life. I'll pepper in some of my experience here and there as, as appropriate for the audience, but I'm thinking folks will enjoy hearing just two CISOs talking about what they actually do for a living. Like, what do you actually do? So my first question is tell me in the last few weeks, as a CISO, what you personally did. Give me three different tasks that you did personally. Not what you had your team do, but what you as the CISO, what did you do? The last few weeks, three tasks. Pick any random three that kind of indicate your day job. Well, I get into a customer meeting uh, over a decision that we have to do based on the requirements of a customer. I've uh, assessed uh, a vendor contract uh, Mm -hmm. just to look at some of the contracts along from a cyber perspective and jump into a P2 call, right? And that's based on uh, some issues that we had that uh, it's a customer facing. So that's something that I've done in the past week. Okay, so the P2 call, walk me through a little bit of that. I know every shop is different. Um, 
do you guys scale up through IT? Does it all come through help desk? Does it come through the knock, the sock? Like, when does a P2 happen that brings in the CISO? Absolutely, absolutely. So this comes through more on the knock and then goes to what we call a MIM, so major incident management. And then they'll determine if this is a security incident or it's, it was reported as part of a security incident. If it's a security incident, it's automatically you know, a P2 incident, regardless of what it is, and they will have some of the security members jump in. But this was customer-facing incident, which typically could have to do with data. So automatically, I'm flagged to jump on for whatever reason to provide some guidance, uh, depending. Sometimes it will be a jump of a call and jump back off because I have team members already responding. But some of those are the kind of things that we deal with. Man, that's wonderful. So that's a great policy. If it's any kind of security incident, it's automatically at least a P2. And if it's customer-facing, CISO is there, boom, done. That's cool. <laughs> that's cool. Not every shop does that. I like that that model. Okay, so the other two you listed, I want to make sure I got them right. So you said customer meeting and a vendor assessment. Yes, customer meeting and a contractual vendor assessment. So this is a contract document. Okay, so so this is one of these where the vendor is going to be a supplier to you. Yes. And you're going yes. through and grilling the vendor to make sure that they're doing their they're your third party risk. I'm used to being the vendor these days. So I'm like I'm I'm, I'm on the other <laughs> side. You and I would yeah. be on opposite sides of the table on that one. So walk me through a little bit what you hold your vendors accountable for then. Like when you're going through that contract, are you holding out for, you know, right to audit? Like how, how far do you go? Yeah, so we'll, we'll talk about right to audit. We'll talk about some of the uh, how to protect the data that uh, we're providing to them. So because we do have different types of customers and different types of data that we may be flowing to them. So it's really right to audit. How are they really doing this? What's, what's their security program look like? You know, do they have the leadership? that is actually responsible for security. And that's purely the challenges that we look for. So organizations may say, well, no, we don't have a security team, or this is just what we have. So those are the red flags that we look for. And to really make sure that those vendors that we're bringing in are really having the right security program. And of course, we have those uh, amendments and indemnities to make sure that from a data blast or you know, data transfer, those things are, are really tied up for us. I love it. I love it. Okay. And then you've got the questionnaires and all the usual stuff they have to do as well, where you, you make them jump through a lot of hoops before you even get into the right to audit conversations, right? Like they're, they're doing questionnaires before you even start the process, right? Before you get involved. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we have, uh, we have a third party risk that will actually send this questionnaires to them. So they'll, oh, nice. they'll fill it out. So we typically do that on paper today. We are trying to get into more of a portal where we can easily do this so that we can have them just jump into the portals you know answer all those questions we automatically have those information coming down but you know those questions are answered and then we'll go to the contractual language typically handled by legal legal will do all the red flags and all those red lines and come down to us to accept sometimes there are, there are areas that we have to f- be flexible a little bit depending mm-hmm. on the vendor and what actually they're doing for us and what they're touching within our enterprise right uh, those decisions have to be done within uh, the security team to really provide that guidance to say, yes, this is something the organization will accept at the risk or not. Got it. Okay. Okay. That's pretty defined by the organization for me. I'm not just accepting it. <laughs> right. Right. That's And that's good. So let's, let's drill into that a little bit because I don't think every CISO gets that luxury. We all talk about how we as the CISO don't own the risk. And we all talk about how the business has a risk appetite and how we're here to just simply point out the risks and show them where they might align or not align with that risk appetite. It sounds to me like you're one of the lucky ones who's working for an organization that knows its risk appetite and actually has some, some wrappers around that, has some guardrails. How does that look? 
it's not perfect, right? And I think it's, it's one of the things that we continue to want to improve is really to, but part of you know, Brinks and the organization is really try to come together to really understand what we need to do. What are our security risks? What is the organizational risk as well as business risk that mm-hmm. we have to, from an organizational level? It goes all the way to the members of the ELT where they, we come together monthly and then discuss this risk as well as dollar amount tied to it, cyber insurance and so forth. So we tend to have that information. And then from a tactical security risk, that's also at an ELT level, but at the enterprise IT level, where we also determine what type of risk can we take within the organization, that bubble ups to the ELT level for the enterprise risk management. We have something, it's not perfect, we continuously improve it, but I would like to see that go a little bit further which we're working on. And I think it's a core workload solution. We've been yeah, sure. trying to get this thing done for about three years now. So You're further along than a lot of shops I've worked in and than a lot of shops I, I hear about talking to fellow CISOs. So I would, I would give yourself points for that. Even, even if it's crawl, walk, run, I would argue you're further down the path on that one than a lot. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So that's good. That's good. So customer meetings was your, was your third one. Um, this is just you know, like meeting the, Customer CISO, like, like, you know, how does how does that look? Do you do you end up having a lot of CISO to CISO meetings, or? So we typically talk to you know our biggest customers are typically banks, retails, and and so forth, and on, uh, also these days, really the the, the the meetings that we have will be BSOs, right? So mm-hmm. or, or typically a big contract will talk to customer CISOs, vice versa, right? And and these are really trying to solidify what our security program, how it will look like. But most of the time is, hey, why are you guys not doing you know, this product? Or why are you guys not doing this for whatever reason? So there's typically those check boxes that we have to do. And I'll jump in with the customers to show what our security program is, what we do, and how we protect the organization. And it's very, typically, it's very easy when I talk to the CISO, right? When I talk to other team members, compliance teams, or risk yeah. team, it may be a different conversation. But when I talk, jump on, talk to the CISO, it's like 10 minutes, we're done. We understand where we are and mm-hmm. what we're doing. It's like, oh, perfect, life is good. And typically that helps the business, that helps sales, that helps everybody move on to the next level. Yep. I, I have always found those CISO to CISO conversations, regardless of which side of the fence I'm on, if I'm the vendor or the, the customer, if I am the supply chain or I'm talking to my supply chain, those CISO to CISO conversations, very, very valuable. I've always found them to cut through the red tape, get to the point. You know, It's like two CISOs that know the rules and know the yeah. drill and know the language can just get it on the table so much faster. All right, so let's switch gears and let's talk about three tasks that your team performed in the last few weeks. Here you are doing these personal things with the P2 and the customer and the vendor. Uh, what about tasks your teams has done in the last few weeks? Some interesting, you know, top three tasks. Well, yeah, I mean, I'll go back to what I just said before. So my team, apart of the P2, I'll have a member of my mm-hmm. team jump in. Right. So this will evaluate what it, what event it is, if it's reported internally or customer reported or how this was reported, or even if this, our team reported it. So uh, that's a task that my team will do. Uh, part of my, what my team will do also to have the um, uh, daily standup call. This is a product mm-hmm. security side of the team that really talks to the developers and other team members that are business analysts to really understand what's coming and how to provide some context there. And uh, some of the fun stuff my team do is really just you know look at what's happening in the enterprise from a, from a cyber activities right. That is the P 
piece that I think everyone thinks yes. CISOs do on a daily basis, but that's just one path of what my, my team is doing. So this is typical of the SOC dealing with incidents or dealing with security mm-hmm. events on a daily basis. That product security side, that's, I, I don't know, I don't know if we've ever talked about this, but that's, that's my soft spot, man. That's, uh, I grew up doing product security before I was a yeah. CISO. And I personally, like, I love that world. I didn't realize you guys, I guess you guys have got online products and things that you're, you're giving to your banks. And so you've got a full product security apparatus as well as the enterprise. Absolutely. absolutely. So we have, uh, you know, new boxes that we call B-Safe. So Brinks Box and, and B-Safe. These are really a smart safes that we're giving to our customers. We're using mobile app to actually log into the mobile app, put your information in, put the money that you want to deposit, and it automatically, you know, goes through, you know, do all the things that it has to do. And then your money is in your bank in the next three seconds. For that to happen, of course, there's an end-to-end security solution that happening from that safe all the way to the bank. You know, we're using things like backhoes and NFCs uh, in terms of how we're actually making sure that you're able to authenticate to those boxes and so forth. So it's pretty interesting technology and really helping customers, retailers, and the banks really minimize the transaction and, and then you know, our customers are operationally going to the safe and picking up money all the time. That is awesome. I didn't realize you guys were doing that. That sounds fun. Let's pause for just a second and hear a brief word from our sponsor. The complexity of cloud infrastructure means every organization's security challenges are unique. Whether your challenge is threat hunting, policy management, cloud workload protection, or all of the above, Uptix helps you quickly identify and eliminate observability gaps in your security program. That's Uptix, analytics for the modern attack surface, observability for the modern defender. Check out Uptix by visiting uptix.com. That's U-P-T-Y-C-S dot com. Thank you, Uptix, for sponsoring this episode. So you got your team doing these tasks. You got you doing your tasks. What about and, and this could be you or your team. What is a task that uh, maybe surprised you when you became the CISO? Like, wait, I'm doing this now? Or what is a task that might surprise our listeners that you or your team have done? Maybe one of each, one for you and one for your team. What's the surprise task that you didn't think you'd be doing or you didn't think the team would be doing? I think most organizational, most team members would have know that the types of capability that security bring into the organization is needed, not only to help the business grow, but also to secure the organization. But I think most of the interesting part is really the amount of people you have to talk to, to actually educate them on the basic security tasks that we have to Mm -hmm. do. So if I have to talk to the general population of why we need to do MFA, it's it's just amazing, but it's it's something that we have to do across and, and then talk to these people why we because we're global so we have to talk to this region that region that this is coming this is why we're doing it and this is the part of the program and it's just interesting but it's one of those things that we have to do and then we really want to do it because it's part of our program make sure that we secure the identity and the users uh, across the enterprise cool so that's uh yeah i i'm, I'm sitting here thinking through what would be a surprise for, for me, if I was an outside outside of the CISO world, and, and yeah, I think that's a good one. I think that would be on my list as well of like, no, really, you have to go through and do all of this with all of these people to get the, <laughs> get the football to move a yard down the field, right? Okay, so how about um, switching gears here, the boring parts of the job? What, 
you know, so we talked about what you do. We talked about the surprises. What's an aspect of the job that to you is the boring part that you still have to do on a regular basis? I think part of it is really, uh, I'm not saying compliance is not fun and, and some of those checkboxes that we have mm -hmm. to do, but I think uh, that's typically the, 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 the not so fun part of the job, which is really important for us mm -hmm. to do, right? Making sure that we are contractually obligated as well as doing what we are supposed to do in terms of this regulatory requirements that we have. So either whatever it is that we have to, to checkbox to do that, that we have to do. I typically look at it as, you know, once we do the right security, once we do security for security, we automatically comply, as I said before, but we still have to go through that compliance checkbox that we have to right. do. And that's, that's, that's part of the job, but uh, it's not the fun part. Yeah. When I got my career started as a product security guy, before I was a CISO, I bootstrapped the product security program off of compliance. In other words, I ran around to all the sales teams in the company trying to find somebody that desperately needed a security something because I was trying to convince yeah. engineering that, hey, we need to start building security into the products. And I found the U.S. federal sales team. And they said, we've got some Department of Defense requirements that are video conferencing products. This is when I was at a video conferencing company that they be secure. And here's the pile of requirements. And of course, it was a U.S. federal government. You know, they slide me this stack of paper across the table Good. that's, you know, yeah, 12 inches thick. And I had to go through all these requirements and get into it and start looking at it. And I started to take them apart. And it was that same thing that you always run into with compliance, which is to your point, good security is going to get you there anyway, right? Like if you're doing yep. good security, you yep. should be able to pick up most of your compliance. And so I actually did it the other way around. I said, if we do full compliance, we're going to have some good security. And so I went to the business leaders and I said, give me a couple of people and I will give you a couple of million bucks. And we started to make a bill just to be compliant with all these DOD regulations. And of course, the whole time I'm saying, save that source code into the main tree so we can start adding all these security features. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so yeah, we yeah. built it uh, over time into a $114 million business. And by the time we had that happening, all those security features that we had built in to be compliant with all those regulations, we, we folded into the main product tree, into the main code tree. And so every product we had had all these killer features. And we got to a point where we could tell any customer, you know, there were little nuanced things even like, um, you familiar with FIPS 140-2? Yes. Yeah, so yeah. we had some customers that insisted on FIPS 140-2 no matter what. And we had other customers that insisted on the most recent, most recent and most patched encryption stack no matter what. And sometimes you, you had to pick between one or the other, right? Because the 140-2 yeah. to get certified, the time it takes to get a stack validated, it's already old, right? And so we actually built yeah. into all the products a toggle switch that let you choose. Do I want FIPS or do I want the newest? Pick one. Um, yeah. little, little stuff like that. But by the time you're to that level with your program, you should be able to check all the boxes on the compliance, right? It's like, yeah, we got FIPS. Yeah, we got the latest current. Yeah, we got, you know. So so we, we did the same sort of thing there at, the, at, at that experience. But but you're right. Once you've got it humming, going back and filling out someone else's checkboxes, I, I, I think I'm going to agree with you. That's that's the boring part. Yeah. But that's sometimes it's it's the way to go depending on the shop you're in. Sometimes compliance is how you stack, right? And, and that's what's the most visible for the mm -hmm. business and that's what they care about. So, so you start yep. there uh, and once you get to the maturity where there's compliance, there's the security and the cybersecurity aspect of it. I mean, I think doing the right cybersecurity will mostly, uh, you know, check all the, all the compliance, but you know, there are a few things that you talk about. FIPS 140-2 or some bank will ask you those three for whatever reason. Yeah. 
then you have to deal with those things to actually come back and say, okay, let's, let's figure out what we need to do to comply. Right. And, and my experiences in a past life, being a vendor for banks, which is, you know, the same sort of story you're talking about. I worked at a company that was a vendor for pretty much every industry out there, every vertical, every size and shape. We had little bitty places on up to great, big, huge global international, you know, fortune 100s. And in my experience, the banks were the ones who were the hardest to keep happy. <laughs> they had more regulations to slide across the table in the first place. Their security questionnaires were longer and stronger than everyone else's. And right. then they always exercised right to audit. And I found myself getting a cadence going where, um, let's say that I was up against my own certifications I wanted to achieve. Like, hey, I'm going to go out and get SOC 2 and I'm going to go get ISO 27001. Yep. And then I was also up against regulatory stuff that I had to do. Like, here's my socks and here's my, you know, whatever it might be. Then I also had the ones that the banks were always asking for. And what I found when I was balancing my program, literally all the ones I had to do, all the ones I wanted to do, and the ones I was doing for the banks had equal weighting in terms of the amount of effort, people, and time that we put into them. So over the course of a year, a third of my effort was on the regulatory, a third of my effort was on the voluntary, and a third of my effort was on keeping my banks happy. There we go. They keep us honest yep. sometimes. Yep. And that's, uh, it's, you know, and it, and I, and I, it made me wonder sometimes, like I always asked myself, cause I always admired that. Like you said, they keep us honest. And, and clearly with that kind of a model we're we're hammering into some better security for all parties. But I always asked myself, like, what if every customer was as uh, hardcore about that as the banks were like, <laughs> could, could a business sustain itself if every single customer they had wanted that much? And, and of course you guys exclusively, uh, almost yeah. exclusively deal with banks. So you, you probably have a, a better chance of answering that question. What is your ratio? Do you feel like, like, are you doing customer audits and customer certification stuff more than internally derived stuff or? Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. We have. Uh, I, and I think every month we have an audit purchase. It's, it's either a bank, it's either a retail, and, and this is this is some some requirements they have to fulfill as well from a third party. Of perspective. course. So the, the ratio, uh, I think we have more customer audits and more customer requirements than we have within our internal certification processes that we have to deal with. So typically by just focusing and doing this, everything else internally is pretty much covered anyways, because they are taking subset of all those controls and then putting it into this in the cybersecurity controls, which we have to adhere because we're customers and this is what we do. We do the business and secure our environment to help our customers and their customers and then keep up with the business. Yep. Yep. I like it. And of course they're like, to your point, they're operating under their own regulatory controls that are much more rigorous than a lot of the other industries. And so they're, you know, they're having to pass some of that on to us as, as, as the providers to the bank. Right. So that's, I totally get all that. Okay. So we've talked about the boring part. Let's switch gears for you. What is the most exciting thing you get to do as a CISO? What's the funnest part for you? The fun part is really being able to take the, all the fun cyber jargons and, and, and then turn it into a business language and then share that with leadership. And I think that's that's pretty always fun to me because um, you know I have a technology background or a technical background or a practitioner background. Yeah. So being able to take all of this critical and and it could be I just you know read it all in the morning in the news before I even you know the time we were going to the office or you meet a or you meet a CIO and at the door he's like hey did you see that wasn't in post stuff what happened right so you're able to just break it down into simple sentences of of um, you know 
really more of a risk rather than a tactical piece. So it's always, for me, it's an interesting practice. I used to not be able to do that. It's always technical for mm-hmm. me, but I have to learn to be able to take that tactical piece and translate it into a business model. All right. Could you think of a good example? I'd love to drill into it a little more. So the Washington Post piece or the, you know, like give me some actual technical, what was one that's come up recently where, you know, I don't know, the article was specifically about so-and-so's cloud got, you know, penetrated by such and such <laughs> technique or, you know, like, do you have a good example of one? Yes. I think the one that um, I got a text from my, what was it, my CIO was the, um, what was it? Uh, I think it was Capital One, uh-huh. right? So the, the cloud security issue that they had, he's like, hey, I know we, we, we have some, you know, are we vulnerable? What's happened? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I said, well, it's, it's, I said, it's a different piece, right? Of course, we have different technologies. We have people that have access. He's like, can this happen to us? I said, it can happen to anyone, right? But we just have to have different types of controls. And then as we keep saying, there are different controls, different places on what we call, of course, defense in depth, as well as monitoring, allows to maybe able to have visibility. Right. But this is why we say going to the cloud doesn't really mean secure because you are going to the cloud and you may still have some other security capabilities you have to do. And then he asked me, so are we, um, how do we know if something like this happens? I said, well, there are a couple of things that we're doing. We do have gaps, but we are also implementing controls. We have more visibility into mm-hmm. it. It's like, okay, that's that's good. He said, so we're good. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what they always ask at the end of it, isn't it? So we're yeah. secure, right? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's always a funny thing. I said, well, well, we're doing all we can. We, we, we're putting capabilities in place. We have monitoring in place. And as we have gaps, we'll work to make sure that we address those gaps and then we'll provide visibility to, to the organization as we go. They said, okay, so are we good? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and I said, like, yeah, we're, we're okay. Like, and I'll let you know once we get right, there. Right, <laughs> that's a great example. I'm trying to think of me, the most exciting part. I'm going to have to agree with you on that one, actually. I have more fun translating security to business and business to security than I do doing any other part of the job. I really do. Like, and, and this is coming from somebody that was deeply technical back in the day. I mean, I, that's all I did was the technology. And I grew through that and evolved through that and got into all kinds of new technology. And there's still, you know, I still get excited about technology. Something new comes along and I'm like, oh, we're going to go, you know, let's, let's get the yep. team on that. Let's play with that. But the reality is speaking to other business leaders from, you know, speaking to marketing, to legal, to HR, to finance, you know, and having those conversations where, you can connect their dots to your dots, you know, where, where you can say, all right, we collectively are the business, you know, here's some security perspective. Now give me the finance perspective and let's find the middle ground. And those conversations to me are always the most exciting. So I, I yeah, think, absolutely. I think I'm with you. What work would you like to be doing as a CISO that you're not doing now? Hmm. That's a very interesting question. Alan. I think most of <laughs> Part of the fun things about the, being a security officer is you get to do everything or, or talk to every team or should be talking right, to every team in all departments. And uh, sometimes you just don't have the time in the day to do that. And I think, what more should I be doing right now? I wish I had more time to really drill down to every organization and, uh, and or every group to understand the entire strategy and and program. But I think the one key thing that I want to be able to do more is really get into the operations of how we make money a a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So so really that strategy building is is something, I mean, I'm in there when we have a strategy, hey, this is what we want to do. 
Mustafa. This is where we, we're looking at. This is how much revenue we anticipate bring. And this is the idea we're going to get. There. How do we get there? Are you okay from a security standpoint? That's the part I am in. I want to be able to get down to how do we make that happen? The reason why I said that is because, you know, as we think of being a CISO, what else are you going to do after being a CISO, right? So typically, and I think you would say, am I going to do this for the next 20 years? Uh, yes, I can. But do I want to be a CIO? And if I want to, there are things that I need to know and there are things I need to be able to do from a financial standpoint and other things to actually be able to get there, to have that trust within the CEO level. And so, and that's why we typically say, what is the CISO's next path? So that's why I think I need to, you know, get more. And to do that, you can do it different ways. And I, I'm taking some classes in finance and other fun stuff, yeah. but being from an organizational standpoint, you can dig deeper and, and be part of that as well, if the time permits. Um, and it's funny that you bring up taking finance classes. I'm actually signing up for some finance and accounting classes myself, specifically for that same reason. I want to get more into the CFO perspective and learn more about their world. I've done P&L, I've done GNA, but I want to get more deeply into that because it's a, it's a vital and critical part of all the business that I'm not anywhere near as expert as I'd like to be. Self-evolution and self-development and self-investment for the sake of getting a better handle on the business and, and relating more to the business. I think that's a great answer. You know, as a CISO, I think the one other thing I'd like to be doing as well that I'm not doing as much of today is, in general, letting the team do most of the security and me doing less of the security so that I can be free to do not just the communication with the rest of the business, but all the business stuff, right? Like, like as CISO, no. I'm probably 85% security and 15% business. And I, I wish I could be 85% business and 15% security. You know, it'd be great to have the team pick up more and more of the security piece and to be able to do less and less as the CISO. But to your earlier point, you know, you're going to get called into the P2s. You're going to get called in to meet the customer CISO. You're going to get called in. There's just, there's just too much need for the CISO to also be the security guy. Um, yep. But I would love to be more business yeah. guy than security guy some days. I mean, not always, but some days for sure. That's the only way you can help the business, and that's the only way we can continue to thrive. And as we have many CSOs in front of the business, and I think that things will change. I think so, too. All right, so we're getting to the end of the show. I've got a question I ask every guest at the end of the show, and that is, what surprises you the most in cybersecurity? The fact that I can call every seasoned CSO out there, everyone who has experience in different industry and say, hey, what are you doing for this? And they'll typically lay it out for me, right? So that's pretty interesting to me. And I think if you don't have someone you can call, and I think you can always try to connect, but if if you do and then you get with them, it's typically easy to really share information. And, you know, I get calls. Uh, it's the same thing, right? Providing contest, what works, what doesn't work, where you should focus on how you should really enhance some of your programs or different tactics to get things done. CISOs in natural are secretive because they're secured offices, but they really share tactics and, and things to do to, to get better. So that's really pretty surprising to me because I would think, you know, out of you know, before I was like, no, I mean, even if you ask them, they'll, they'll they won't tell you. Right. But that's not the case, right? It's it's just interesting. Any CISO you call is always happy to share. Yep. Yeah, I've found the same to be true, although I have to say as well, it seems to almost be more of a CISO to CISO thing. In other words, if a random firewall guy calls up a CISO and asks for help, he's probably not going to get the help, right? <laughs> um, but no, I think once no. you've established yourself as a CISO, 
Yes, other CISOs absolutely share. And we're regarded from the outside as this culture of paranoid security professionals, right? And, you know, oh, don't, you know, he's not going to, he's not going to give you access to anything and you won't get credentials and, you know, and all that. But, but we do actually information share far more, I think, than, than people realize who are maybe outside of our profession that, that when, when CISOs get together, we compare notes. We do. Here's, here's some problems I'm facing. Here's some challenges. Here's, you know, here's how we got exploited. What tool are you using to solve this problem? And, And, oh yeah, we got popped and then we bought this and, you know. You'll have those frank and meaningful conversations when two CISOs get together, and I think I think you're right. I, th- I think a lot of folks don't realize how much real sharing occurs when CISOs peer up. A lot. <laughs> <laughs> a lot, indeed. All right, well, listen, Mustafa Kebe, CISO at Brinks, well-respected security leader in the Dallas-Fort Worth community. I'm always going to introduce you that way. I sure appreciate you coming on down to the ranch, man. Thank you, and thank you, listeners. <laughs> Thanks, Y'all be good now. <laughs>